Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Anyone who's uh, aspiring to master an art starts by imitating masters of that art. You learn the basics, right? Every student starts with practicing musical scales or learning basic brush strokes or holding a hammer and chisel or throwing clay on the pottery wheel. Are you with me? Inspirations often taken, among painters at least, from the great masters. And a student, as they progress in the basics, they begin to learn various styles by mimicking the work of the greats. You should YouTube it sometime. It's pretty fun to see people painting some of the master works of arts down through the centuries. And some of them, well, they could probably have a future as foragers. They're pretty good. But all so that they can develop into masters of the art themselves. Apprenticeship in trades, of course, follows a similar track. First, you learn the basics, mimicking the journeyman, advancing as you go, building upon the foundations that every apprentice and every student and every disciple has to learn before you can go on and do anything. Every carpenter has to learn how to hold a nail and a hammer long before they'll ever ever build a home. Uh, Every mechanic starts by changing oil and fixing tires. Eventually, they can overhaul an engine. To master any trade, we first mimic the masters of our trade. Imitation is essential. Now, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke under the rubric of a master class series in following Jesus, and we've been using the model of apprenticeship as a way of understanding what it means for us to follow Jesus. That being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is like being an apprentice under Jesus in his kingdom trade. That as we follow Jesus, as we watch what, he was, what he's doing, as we follow his example, as we begin to obey his teaching, we become, in that sense, more proficient in his ways so that we actually live more like he lived. We care more as he cared. We begin to share the good news of God's grace and freedom in a way that, like Jesus, compels people to respond to him. And we do that by imitating Christ. And of course, there are skills to be learned. There are arts to be mastered within the uh, you know, following of Jesus. For example, we do grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is exactly and who he's definitely not. We do grow in our ability to share good news and apply the truth of Jesus to different situations. And we do that more effectively. But apprenticeship to Jesus is much more than just... It's much, it's much more than that. It's, it's, it's really about learning a way of life. Adopting a a Jesus way of being. It's a whole life, body, mind, strength, soul, pursuit of God. That through his death and his resurrection and the gift of his Holy Spirit, Jesus has made us new creations. That we are, remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2, we are his art masterpieces. And we're learning what it means to live in this new way by imitating him. So as apprentices of Jesus, we imitate our master. That is basic. We look at Jesus and we think, okay, 
If that's what Jesus did, how do I do that? If that's what Jesus said, how do I apply that? You know, if that's how Jesus felt, how, how should I be feeling? How do I implement his worldview, his, his teaching, his, his way of loving? How do I integrate that into my life? How do I imitate Jesus? When I was a teenager, uh, I was influenced by a popular book called In His Steps. Anyone ever read that book? Yeah, there's a few of you. I can guess what Christian school you went to. It was written in the late 1800s, and Charles Sheldon created a cast of characters whose lives were challenged and changed because for one whole year, they committed themselves to asking one question before they did anything. Do you know what that question was? What would Jesus do? One deceptively simple question. Now, I know that question got super popular some decades ago. The marketers got a hold of it. It There was a nauseating avalanche of bracelets and cheap merch. But this question, if asked sincerely and consistently, still holds tremendous power. Are you facing a troubling relational conflict in your life? What would Jesus do? Is your conscience wrestling with something that's happening at work? What would Jesus do? Are you struggling to make a big decision? Seriously, I would suggest you ask, what would Jesus do? Are you trying to figure out how to break through to one of your increasingly distant kids? What would Jesus do? Asking, what would Jesus do in each and every area of our life, in our relationships, in our work, in our parenting, in our politics, in our social media posts, in our financial spending, if you should marry or if you should stay single, all those kinds of questions have the potential to utterly change your life. And I like the question because it's an action question. It orients us toward obedience, not theory. It's grounded in an assumption that followers of Jesus should actually try and imitate the actions, thoughts, and ways of Jesus within their unique place and space. And even if the answer is not the easiest thing to figure out, which it often isn't, asking the very question drives us to Jesus. It assumes that we should in some way be imitators of Christ, mimicking the master in our lives even when to do so is difficult. It requires discernment. Today we're moving on in Luke chapter 6 to a very simple story where Jesus prayed all night and then the next morning picked 12 core disciples. It's a simple story, and yet by asking the right question, it actually carries the potential to change us, to change our lives. So read along with me, Luke chapter 6, 12 through 16. It'll be on the slide. Read on your phone. Those of you who are with us online, to your oh, right, there's a chat box. Click on that. It says Bible. And you can look it up. Luke chapter 6, 12 to 16. Here are the words. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he called Peter. His brother Andrew. James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, 
Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. There it is. A simple story, right? Just a simple description of a day in the life of Jesus. But, as an apprentice of Jesus, watching the master closely so that we might glean direction and insight for our lives as his followers, there's something even in this story that moves us to action. Track with me. The first thing we notice is the pattern we've already seen showing up in the life of Jesus. Jesus has a habit of going away to pray. We highlighted this earlier on in our Masterclass series. And all four Gospels make this crystal clear. No matter how busy he was, no matter how pressed, no matter how demanding his schedule, no matter how intense Jesus' life God got, he would get away with God. He would get away with his Father. Sometimes it was at night. Sometimes it was for days. But somehow, someway, Jesus would make time to be with his Father. His whole ministry was launched after a 40-day getaway with God climaxing in severe temptation by the devil, whom he crushed with the word of God. And then, again and again, we're told that Jesus would, and I quote, often withdraw to solitary places to pray. This prayer pattern was super obvious to his followers, as well as to the crowds around him. Jesus prioritized time spent with his father. It's like, where did he, what, he was just here, where did he go? Somebody go find him, would you? There's people who need to be healed. And now here in Luke chapter 6, just as he's about to make one of his most influential leadership decisions of his ministry, by handpicking his inner core, Jesus spends a whole night talking to his father. Before Jesus was willing to call them publicly before the crowds, he had to discuss them privately with his father. Now, it's likely we're meant to kind of notice a bit of a Moses illusion here. Jesus, think of it, up on a mountain, enjoying face-to-face communion with God. It was Moses who did that. Uh, Then descending the mountain to form around himself a kind of new Israel, appointing 12 apostles, not 13, not 15, not 21. Very deliberate choice. Jesus is saying that the center of God's hope for his people and through his people, now for the whole world, is centered around Jesus. Israel, who was called to be a blessing to the nations through Jesus and through his new community, they were and they are and they will be. But in all this, we cannot miss this pattern, this prayer pattern of our master Jesus. Jesus would not think of making an important decision, wouldn't dare to make such a bold move because it it really was bold. His opponents did not miss his choice of 12, you understand. They knew what he was saying. Jesus would not consider choosing which ones to call specifically from his, it's obvious in the text, a larger group of disciples. We know later that there was others who would have qualified and and did to replace Judas. But this larger group of disciples, he wouldn't have done that without an extended conversation with his father first. Now I happen to think he got through the middle ten in about an hour. And then spent a whole rest of the night talking about Simon, who's at the front of the list, And Judas Iscariot, who's at the end. But that's just my personal opinion. Jesus prioritized conversation with his father before every major event in his life. You can actually see it in the Gospels. Before he launched his ministry, 40 days. Before calling the 12 apostles, here he is again. 
And we'll see him later spending intense hours of prayer just before his arrest and his crucifixion. Notice that pattern? As followers of Jesus, we look to the master and then we ask, how can I follow his example in my life? How can I mimic his practice? We need to ask that question. For those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, those of you who have not yet decided to follow Jesus, this is really important information for you to get. Because you're exploring, what is this Jesus about? What does it mean to follow him? This is, this is really good for you to hear. It means we learn the way of the master and we begin to step into it and follow it. It's, it's all on grace. But we're, we're, we're going to follow him in our actions in a way that transforms our lives. But those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is a basic question. And so let me ask you, application time, are you facing any decisions in your life? I mean, thinking of buying a house? Thinking of selling one? Decided to have another child? Or another child? Choosing how? Or maybe where you're going to educate your kids? Uh, Figuring out where to live? When to move? When not to move? And why? When to quit a job? When to start a business? When you should join a church? Leave a church? Start a new ministry? Shut a ministry down? Take on extra debt? Start dating someone? How can you prioritize prayer before you do anything? The truth is, and I say this, there's no guilt or shame in this. I'm just naming it. We often make those decisions with very little prayer. Very little discernment. And so discerning, just slowing the process down so that we can hear the Father speak through his word, by his spirit, through the wise counsel of brothers and sisters, through common sense, even circumstances, instead of just assuming the frightful assumption that it's all on you to decide. You better get it right, buddy, because, man, everything hangs on this. Instead of that, we can mimic Jesus' decision. We can mimic Jesus' prayer practice. And even in the practice of following Jesus' example, we can then ask, what would Jesus do? But there's actually a deeper pattern here that we need to see. There is the pattern of praying before decision-making, and I strongly urge you to implement that more directly in your life, that if you're facing a big decision, call a few brothers and sisters together to pray with you and for you through the process. Do it. But we also need to see that Jesus placed priority on a regular pattern of prayer, on rhythmic patterns of getting away that are woven into the fabric of his everyday life. These regular getaways are often not really about big decisions. They're just about maintaining connection. They're about fostering his identity as the son of God, the beloved son of God, and and relying upon his father's insight and grace to sustain him. And the fact is, Jesus would have been doing that for years, his pre-ministry life, long before anyone outside his family really knew much about him. We don't know much about the life of Jesus pre-launch, but I do believe that that prayer pattern that we see evident throughout his ministry life was something that was already established when he was working as a day carpenter. That while he was out there serving, while he was out there 
constructing, while he was out there meeting the needs of his family, he was also pursuing an active life of prayer. It's not like he just started with 40 days out in the wilderness like that was easy. This was a long-established prayer pattern in his life. He, He placed a priority on regular conversational prayer. I am willing to bet that he already had gone away for nights on mountainsides with his father. And this priority on regular conversational prayer would be the very reason why he'd also never consider any kind of big decision without talking to his father about it. We talked to him about everything, so why wouldn't you talk to him about that? And so there's another application for us, or rather an apprenticeship implementation. How can we also mimic the prayer pattern of Jesus in our everyday lives? And asking this question is not about guilt or pressure. I know so many of us feel the moment that question is asked, you're like, oh, I know I don't pray enough. And we feel bad. That's not what this is about. As we seek to mimic Jesus, we do so under the grace of Jesus, knowing that he has already prayed for us. He's already done it all. And we operate now in the power of the Holy Spirit. None of this is about heaping on a heavy burden. Rather, we look at Jesus praying and we think, he's inviting us into that. He's our access to this. We're now welcomed by the Spirit through Jesus to get in on the conversation that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are having right now. And he invites us into that daily, regularly, to experience the goodness of God. But we are challenged to ask ourselves, How can I mimic that kind of pattern of prayer in my own life? How can I make regular conversation with the Father just the way I do things? What habits can I instill? Which take intention, especially when you're starting a new habit. What places can I regularly go to? Or rhythms can I enjoy so that prayerful conversations with the Father are a sustained part of my life? And actually, if you really meditate on what Jesus did, he'll give you the clues, you know. For example, it seemed to help Jesus to get away from people. I think that might be something that will help us. I suggest that Jesus also turned his phone off. Just a second. You know what I'm saying? He went out to solitary places. Why? Because they were solitary. He got away, right? And it seems like there was regular places that he would go and frequent. He also went at times of the day when maybe people weren't around or they wouldn't notice he'd left or whatever. There's patterns that we can look to. We know that he also, well, if you read the temptation accounts, a big part of his prayer was a meditation on the scripture. And, 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 and part of reflecting back in conversation to his father about that. There's things we can learn as we meditate on the life and the prayer pattern of Jesus. Jesus leads us as our master to adopt his pattern of prayer in our lives. And he lived that life before his followers. So much so that in a couple chapters, they'll stop and say, Jesus, could you teach us how to pray? Right? I mean, John's disciples taught them how to pray, but we're seeing you pray a lot, and we kind of like to get in on that. And that's what Jesus' prayer pattern is. It's our invitation to get in. And actually, for those of you who are with us last week, and if you weren't, you're interested, you can find the message on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, on our website. 
But it dovetails perfectly with last week's call to practice a Jesus-oriented Sabbath. Not as a burden to bear, but as a gift to enjoy. That the truth of Sabbath, this gift of actually stopping and ceasing and resting from all our doing so that we can celebrate the fullness and wholeness that Jesus offers us, matches perfectly with this prayer pattern of having this beautiful extended conversation with the Father. And in some ways, getting away to um, pray and be with the Father is kind of like having little mini Sabbaths. We just hide for a bit. And so we ask, how can we do that in our own lives? Very practically, without stress or without uh, shame or guilt. We just ask, looking at my own life, how can I mimic that? What would it look like for me to take some small steps? And I urge you to look at your weekly calendar and ask Jesus, Jesus, I'm staring at my Google calendar here, and I'd like to know how I could mimic your prayer pattern in this calendar. Ask the question. What would it look like for me at my age and stage? Because we're in different ages and stages. But what would it look like for me to enjoy regular conversation with the Father? He'd love to have regular conversation with you. Now, I could wrap up the message right now. But I'm not going to. You can hold on for a few more minutes, right? Because... You see, Jesus was on his father's mission here, right? The mission the Holy Spirit had anointed him to pursue. He talks about it when he first arrives in the first synagogue, right after the launch. He tells them, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, right? And he's going to proclaim freedom and all this amazing stuff. Heal people. Kingdom of God has come. And in order to fulfill, to fulfill that mission, Jesus called people to follow him. And his night in prayer, as we already saw, was actually for a specific reason. To choose 12 Set ones, that's the meaning of the word apostles. Apostles who would fulfill Israel's destiny to be a light to the nations and would form a foundation for the new creation people of God, which is the whole world over. Now, we're not called to, G- to mimic Jesus in exactly that way. If I see you walking around Crescent with 12 people following you this next week, I may get concerned. And yet we can see there's a pattern in here that does challenge us. First, we're reminded, again, that what Jesus is doing here, even when he's alone with his Father, is connected to the larger community through and through. It's connected to the mission of God for the world, that his private prayer also impacted and was for the sake of his public mission. That Jesus could not fulfill his Father's will without calling people to join him in that mission. And these people, these 12 called, chosen, sent people become a pattern in the ministry of Jesus and actually they continue to be so. Because as these 12 are eventually commissioned to then call others. Remember, they were right at the end of the story. They're told to go and tell, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the triune God and teach obedience to the ways of Jesus. In other words, make them apprentices of Jesus too. And then to keep going and telling and baptizing and teaching all grounded in this new life, knowing that Jesus is with them and will be always. And so generation after generation after generation, crossing time and culture and language and borders, right down to, look around the room, you and I here today are a result of this work of Jesus. And that mission from this original Messiah to the 12, to the growing 70, to the 120 in the upper room, to the thousands who came 
to follow Jesus after the Holy Spirit was poured out, all of this was saturated in prayer. All of this came from the people of God in conversation with the Father, filled with the Spirit, following Jesus, who were then sent into the mission of God right up to today. And we must not miss that. The triune God's public mission in the world to seek and to save and to restore and to heal, to help people in the language we use around here, to find and follow Jesus so that they flourish in Christ and fulfill his mission in the world. All of that is sourced by the power of the Holy Spirit through his followers who are regularly being filled up with and loved on and corrected and directed in conversation with God. Whatever we're called to do for God is always meant to be sustained first by our life with God. And that's how it worked for Jesus. And that is sure how it works for us. Because as it is with Jesus, so it is with us. Friends, Jesus knew what was best for him. I don't mean best for him like avoid the cross best for him. Because he also knew what was best for us. But he knew that in the midst of that ministry, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the pressures, in the midst of the coming suffering, that he had to depend fully on his Father. And he knows that's also true for us. Whatever the call of Jesus is upon us, wherever he leads us, whatever suffering and difficulty, which we talked about last week, that may come because we're following Jesus, we are called to be sustained in the midst of that by the Father who delights in us. Can we see that by mimicking Jesus, our master, in our lives, by adopting for ourselves his pattern of prayer, that we will be drawn into the very same life of the God who loves us, and we will be sustained for the mission he's sent us into. Can we see that this is a most liberating gift? This is the most sustaining power It's the greatest source of joy and grace that there is a Father who loves us and a Son who made a way and a Holy Spirit who takes up residence in our lives, in the lives of his people and is now calling us, always calling us, always calling us to come in close, to hear his heart, to sink deep into this conversation that has been going on for all eternity and will continue to go on for all eternity and shapes us in the now. That's God's invitation to us. And through our master, Jesus, as we look at his life and we seek to follow him in his ways, we simply look at him and say, I want to be just like him. And in turn, that invitation to us is what will make God's invitation to the world that much more palpable, that much more vivid, that much more compelling. Do you hear the invitation today? Let's mimic our master. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are such a master. We are just in awe of you as a person, of your teaching, of your life. And we look to you, Jesus, today as ever, knowing that we must imitate you. I ask today for those of us who feel guilt or shame, feel overwhelmed or, oh, I've tried that before and it hasn't worked. I just pray for our release from that. 
that we would feel afresh your invitation to come, to come in close and to hear the conversation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For those of us who are wrestling with an incredibly frenetic and busy life, feeling the pressures everywhere, I pray that over the next few weeks, they would have these moments of quiet, of solitary, these moments where they hear again your invitation to come away with you, even just for a few minutes, to receive from you life-sustaining power. Lord Jesus, for those of us who have not yet decided to follow you, I pray very specifically today that even in our conversation, they would hear your voice calling them, Come in close. Let me tell you how much I love you. Let me show you what I've done. Let me cast a vision for your life that will so far outstrip anything you could ever imagine. And come follow me. For those of us online or those of us here in the room who have not yet decided to follow you, I pray for them. I pray for you specifically that you would take the next step to say yes to Jesus. Seek out a friend. Seek me out. Email me. uh, Whatever it takes. Take the next step. Jesus is calling you. And for all of us as your people, Lord Jesus, would we increasingly mimic you, our master? Would you take us by the hand, showing us what you would do in our particular situations? Challenge us in the heart. Challenge us in our minds. Challenge us in our behavior through your winsome grace to follow you, to see our lives change, but also to see others catch a glimpse of how great you really are. Lord Jesus, we close today. We want to close with this, naming this choice that on this day, today, we choose to follow you. And so as we sing this, Lord Jesus, would you hear it as our prayer, as our declaration, as our desire. Thank you for being our great master. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.